Morning, everybody. Great to see you. Well, I just want to say thanks so much um, for your support uh, through this process and uh, your encouragement along the way. Um, it's very humbling to be in this position, in this place, and, um, you know, Brookside's a, a special place, and uh, God's doing a special thing, and so we're just really honored. Sunday night uh, for myself and for Christina was one of the most meaningful and uh, will be one of the most memorable times of my life, I, I'm certain of it. Um, so anyway, I'm just uh, so grateful for each of you and, and also for Steve and Becky and the leadership and the passionate desire that they've had now for 30-some years to see people, more and more people come to know and to experience life with Jesus Christ that touched so many lives. Um, about a week and a half ago, I was reading in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and uh, the words that were spoken there really resonated with me. And um, been, the Lord, I feel like, has really kind of kept these words in my mind and in my heart the last several weeks and as we've gone through this process. And in this particular passage, David is reflecting on the blessing that God is talking about in his life. And Nathan the prophet's come and speaking some words to him about David's future, but also about David's family's future. And so then David responds by saying this. He says, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Uh, and then he said, and if, if that is not enough in your sight, O, o sovereign Lord, he said, um, you have also spoken about my future. Uh, David was humbled, David was in awe, and David was grateful. And um, I just want to say we are so grateful. Um, we're grateful to be a part of a church um, like this. We're grateful to be able to, to serve here in this special place. Really, it's a dream come true. Um, it is really a dream come true uh, to serve in a church where we love the people like we do, but also um, on top of the blessing of just the church in general is the fact that Steve and Becky, through their faithful leadership, have built an incredible church. And so to be able to walk in and to continue to serve faithfully in this midst is, um, is a real privilege. So, so thanks for your prayers, and also thanks for being the kind of church uh, that you are. Uh, it was really fun. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, Christine and I were out in our front yard and we were just doing some yard work and a neighbor from up the street came walking down and we got to talking and and she said well I bet things are getting busy at church with Easter around the corner and whatnot and so we started talking about the service and the service times and all of that and and she said uh, yeah actually she said I already got an, <clears throat> an invitation card from somebody I work with and uh, I thought to myself man Brooksider beat me to inviting my own neighbor you know and <laughs> But I tell you what, I thought what a privilege it is, you know, to be a part of a church where we're thinking and we're caring deeply about other people. Um, it's phenomenal. Um, so again, Christine and I, we're honored and we're really excited about the future. We're excited to see what God has, what the plans of God are as we passionately pursue him together in the years to come. So yeah, thanks so much. Well, this morning, we've got the privilege of entering back into the book of Romans, and um, today we're going to find ourselves in Romans chapter 7, and we're going to see in this text that the Apostle Paul, he's going to get very real with his struggle against sin, uh, the struggle that's present in, inside of him, inside of his own life, and, and throughout this story, um, his openness is one that is going to allow us to learn a lot. It's going to learn, help us to learn what to do. Um, it's also going to help us learn what not to do. Um, if you're here this morning, maybe you're a, a committed follower of Jesus Christ, this will be helpful to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not too into church. This is all pretty new to you. Um, the Apostle Paul's words will be helpful to you as well, I'm, I'm sure of it. So, but before we dive in, let's do this. Let's go to the Lord and... Um, and let's just pray, and let's just kind of set the foundation for our hearts um, to seek him and to hear from, from God today. So would you pray with me, and, and then we'll jump in. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you again have brought your church together. And um, Lord, we approach you with confidence this morning because we know that you know us. We know that you know the things that have gone great this last week. We also know that you are not absent at all. You care from, for us. You know the trials that we've experienced. And so, Lord, you've brought us, though, here this morning, and you faithfully, again and again and again, you speak into our hearts. And so that's our prayer this morning. Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, would you move inside of me? Um, and so would you even just have a simple prayer like that and say, Lord, I came this morning, and so, Lord, now I'm asking, Lord, would you, the creator of the universe, would you direct me? Would you speak to me? So say just a simple kind of prayer like that on your own to the Lord. Go ahead. Lord, thanks, thank you that you have us here for a reason, and uh, we do. We pray confidently this morning. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, on, on August uh, 29th, 2005, Christine and I were in the hospital, and she was giving birth to our oldest son, Aiden. And after Aiden was born, I remember walking out into one of the lobby spaces, and I saw people glued to the television. I caught enough of this live news coverage to know that August 29th, 2005, would be a day that would be remembered historically. That was the day that Hurricane Katrina would leave its mark as the most costly hurricane in the history of the United States. Over 2,000 lives were lost and $81 billion in property damage. That following summer, we took a group of students, middle school students, down to New Orleans to help in that effort of, of rebuilding the city. And our task each day was to go into a home that had been flooded. Many of these homes, the water was clear above the roof. And our job was to go into these homes and to empty them out, to open the doors for the first time. And, and you can imagine the sights, you can imagine the smells of these homes, what, was, what had taken place inside them, and that had sat for an entire year. And so we would open these homes up, and I'll tell you what, it was a sight to see rodents of all sorts, the smells, you name it. But I remember one day in particular, we were walking up to a house, and we were still at the street corner, and I remember seeing this house that we were assigned to, and I remember thinking to myself, boy, that house doesn't look too bad. I mean, the, the, the brick veneer finish was still there, it looked really nice, the roof was intact, it had a side porch, it had a garage out back that looked pretty good, and I remember thinking to myself, it doesn't look too bad. And then we walked up the driveway and we got to the side door, which they had to break down in order for us to get into the place, and when we opened the door, the disaster inside, it was mind-boggling. This side of this home's furniture, all these personal belongings, clothes, appliances, it was as though a tornado had come and whipped through the inside of this house. Imagine cupboards filled with dishes and Tupperware still filled with water from the storm a year ago, refrigerator that was still full of food from a year ago. And as we were working that day, the homeowner came by. She was a woman in her 80s and and as you can imagine, this was an emotional experience for her. She had lived in this house. She had lived on this block for decades. And as she watched and she had waited a year for her name to finally get called so that this could happen to her house, and she watched us take her belongings and pile them high in the front yard so that they could be hauled away to the dump. This sweet elderly lady was incredibly grateful 
but I'll never forget her. I can still picture her in my mind as we pulled stuff out of her house, tears. She was grateful, but tears were streaming down her face as she watched her mud-covered, smelly, what used to be nice possessions, now just junk being hauled out to the front yard. But the reason why that she went through this, the reason why that she put her name on the list was because she had a better day in mind. She remembered what this neighborhood was like before. She remembered the memories that had taken place in this house for decades upon decades. And so she was willing to go through this bump in the road. She was willing to go through this hard experience because she knew there was a better day in store. She was willing to face this, even though the exterior still looked pretty good. She knew she needed to open this house up and get the junk in the front yard. She had to embrace this hard day in order to embrace a better day in the future. She had to expose it. When you think about the Apostle Paul, you might think of a man who had it all together. He looked pretty good. I mean, think about this. After all, the Apostle Paul was the guy, he wrote much of the New Testament, right? I mean, think of how many thousands of times the Apostle Paul is being quoted in churches around the world just this morning alone. I mean, he was the man who God said of him, this, is, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name, meaning this is the guy that's going to lead a movement of people that will worship me for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years, and it's going to be still going strong, but this guy, this guy is my instrument to start all of that. Paul was a man that was so committed <clears throat> to Jesus Christ that he was willing to be brutally executed for his allegiance to Christ. Christians think very highly of the Apostle Paul, and rightly so. But in Romans chapter 7, in a sense, Paul takes us to the house of his heart. And while the grass might look pretty good on the outside and the house looks okay on the exterior, there were parts of Paul that Paul didn't like. There were parts of Paul's life that he wasn't happy with. There were things that Paul looked at in his own life and he wanted them to change. There was junk that he had inside and in his own words, he called it wickedness. And we're going to see this morning that Paul, in a very vulnerable state, he opens up the door to his life and he brings out the things that aren't so good on the inside. Wickedness on the inside. Our main point this morning, if you're taking notes, jot this down, very simple phrase, Acknowledging our weaknesses helps us and others find strength in Christ. It's never a compliment, is it, when someone says, you know what, I've talked to that person a few times, but I don't feel like I ever get to know them. It's not a compliment. They might follow that up by saying, I feel like they're fake. Now, on the other hand, someone says, you know what, I, man, I, I've talked to that person a couple of times, and I just, I love being around them. They're so real. They're, they're transparent. I feel, like, I feel like I can get to know them. They really, they kind of really share their, their life and, and what, what's going on. We like that kind of person. We can relate to them. This week, someone was complimenting Pastor Steve to me, and they said, I love how he's real, how he's not afraid to share the struggles in his life. They were telling me how helpful that's been to them in their own journey. I would go even further to say, I think it's why his life has been and continues to be so impactful. He's real. He's open, right, for the, for the good. In, Rome, or in, yeah, in verse 24 of chapter 7 in Romans, Paul summarizes what he's explained throughout this whole chapter. And what he does is in this context is he gives us a window into his struggles. Look with me at verse 24. He writes, what a wretched man I am. He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? 
The words that he's spoken to them, the words that he's written in this book, they're not just academic to Paul. He's a real guy. And he's showing them that his life is really affected by the truths of God. And by doing this, what Paul is communicating to his, to his listeners is, hey, I'm, I'm right there on your level. He's communicating to them, hey, I understand your struggles. He's very wide, opening the door to his heart. He's exposing his struggles. It's important, though, to remember where we've been so far in this book. It's important to remember the things that Paul's already said to this church in Rome. Remember, and if you read the first chapter in, in Romans, you'll find very easily that the Apostle Paul loved this church. He cared deeply for them. And so this church that he cares deeply for, he writes to them, and, and we're going to see in chapter 7, he kind of comes to a bump in the road. But remember where we've been. Right from the start, beginning in Romans, he makes it very clear. All people have a sin problem. He says, hey, nobody's off the hook. Nobody gets a free pass on this one. And then we get some good news. We keep going in Romans, and we find that we can be justified by God, that we can be made right with God. And then you might remember in Romans chapter 5, we saw that we can have peace with God. And then we kept going. We saw last week our identity can be found in Christ. And when our identity is found in Christ, it, it really changes everything. When we get to Romans chapter 8, we're going to see how then do we live as a follower of Christ. But in Romans chapter 7, there's a bump in the road. We see that there's a battle against sin that is very real. I think we would all agree with that when we think about our own lives. We have different areas that we might struggle with. Maybe for you it's, a, it's greed, or maybe it's anger, or maybe it's lust, or there's an addiction. You know what it is. You can fill in the blank. In Romans chapter 7, Paul starts off, and, and you need to know this kind of as a background. It, he's talking about the law, and what he's doing is he's referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to the Ten Commandments, and what he's doing is he's referring to the set of standards that God has put out there, but what we're going to find is that Paul is saying that God has put this good set of standards in place, but he's having a, Paul is having a tough time following them. He's having a tough time living up to them in his own strength. So in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul talks about the law. He talks about the standard. Look with me at verse 7. He writes, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. And basically what Paul is saying is that the law is good. The law is the place where we understand the character of sin. Through the law, we're made aware of what sin is. Take this for an example. The law says, okay, the speed limit is 45 miles per hour on Q Street. Now, let's say I get in a hurry and I say, wow, I, I need to go 60 today to get to my destination on time. Now, the law tells me, no, 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 that's not the right thing to do. The law is intended to show me the safe way to drive at 45, and if I don't follow that, I will find that I am in error and it will be expensive, right? He goes on, look with me at verse 12. <clears throat> he says, so then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Verse 13, he asks a question. Did that which is good then become death to me? He says, by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as, as sin, it, was, uh, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. To summarize, he's saying, the law, what does it do? It spotlights the problem. The law is like an x-ray machine. It reveals the issue. 
And when we get to verse 15 now, we're going to see the story of Paul's struggle, okay? Verse 15. You ever felt this way? He writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. But Paul's experiencing, and you can just see it throughout this text, he's experiencing this sense of conflict. He knows the right thing to do, but yet he also has this desire. His sin nature leads him down this road. It leans him this way. And so there's this constant battle that he's talking about. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, right? It helps me. It points out my sin. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Do you see his turmoil? He's wrestling back and forth. Jesus put it this way, Matthew chapter 26, he said, the spirit is willing. Spirit is willing, but he said, the flesh is weak. Verse 19, he says, for I do not do the good that I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin in me that does it. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Now Paul knows that the law is good. Paul knows what does the law do? It points to the fact that God is holy, that God is just, that God is good. It points to the fact that, it, that sin is sin. It puts sin in its right place. Paul's thankful for the law. He's thankful for it. Verse 23. But, he says, I see another law at work in me, like in his heart. And it's waging war. It's this idea of this conflict. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And then he concludes, kind of a concluding statement, verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Now notice it says who there. It doesn't say what. It doesn't say hey, what book or what idea or what, what program, what diet. No, it doesn't say any of that. He says who. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. And then verse 25, the highlight of chapter 7, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Phenomenal news. John Newton, who wrote the famous um, hymn, Amazing Grace, earlier in his life, he was, a, he was a slave trader. And for medical reasons, he left that profession and he became a customs officer, and then later he studied theology, which led him then to become a pastor. However, Newton never forgot the horrible sin that he committed as a slave trader, his nature of, the nature of his sin. He never forget, forgot the weight of that. And at the end of his life, Newton said to his friend, he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Let me ask you a question, though. Have you ever felt like Paul did? Have you ever felt that inner struggle between, oh, I, I think this is the right thing to do, but I, oh, I constantly, I know what to do, but I, oh, and it's that tug of war. Have you ever felt that way? Paul is going out of his way to, to, to let us know sin is knocking on our door. The war has been won. We are ultimately victorious in Christ, Right? 
And there are small victories along the way, right? In Christ, we grow in Christ along the way, right? Christ forms us into who we are all along the way. And there will be a day when the final victory will be won in our lives, right? When Christ returns. But until that day, as we progress to grow in Christ, we will still face bumps along the road. There will be times when sin will still rear its nasty little head There will be times when the worst of us will appear. This is how I see this in my own life. Oftentimes, I'll pull my car into the garage at the end of of a day, and I'll say a very simple prayer to God. Just as I'm getting out of the car, nothing big, I'll just say, God, would you help me now do my most important job as a husband and as a father? Amen. Go into the house, right? Now, that's my desire, right? That's my intention on a daily basis. But do you know what oftentimes happens to me? I'll go into the house and I'll sometimes get frustrated with these, these kids. Sometimes I call them varmints in our house, right? <laughs> now, here's what happens. I'll, I'll get there, you know, at the end of the night, um, bath time's over, whatnot, and I'll get the, the toothbrushes all set up to go with toothpaste on the brushes, and I'll, I'll say to the kids, I'll say, okay, it's time to brush your teeth. Nobody comes. They all hid, right? I'll say, no, 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 you know, it's bedtime. Hey, it's time to brush your teeth. <whistles> Nobody, you know? And so you know what that can make me do? It can make me become impatient. And then the next thing I know, I've become impatient and I've snapped at a kid. Okay? And no, I didn't mean I hit the kid, right? You know what I meant. All right, thanks. <laughs> I didn't want the email or whatever. Yeah, okay. You know what else can happen to me at home, though? I can become selfish. And so then I'm in a conversation with Christina, and my selfish nature can then lead us to an argument. And then I can see anger sometimes gets to rear its nasty head in our home. And it's in those moments, it's in that frustration where I say to myself, I don't want to be like this. Why do I still struggle in this way? But I've got a choice to make in that moment, like you have a choice to make in your own moments. I can wallow in my sin or I can try to hide it. No apology necessary. Just move on as though it never happened. Or I can confess. I can be honest. And then I can run to Jesus Christ. Paul is saying to us, not if, but when you hit the bumps in the road and you decide to face the stuff that's lurking, when that Sin kind of rears its head in your life, and you don't want it to, but when it does, what the Apostle Paul is saying to us is, don't hide it. Get it in the front yard. Get it out there. You don't need to, you don't need to hide it. And, then, and the reason why is this. It's verse 25. It's because Paul would say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. There is a better day. There are better days here and now through Jesus Christ. There's victory over that. In John chapter 8, I I just love this picture that we get of Jesus. This woman is um, hauled before Jesus, and she's um, committed the sin of adultery, and she's caught, right? So these religious guys bring this gal before Jesus as though he's going to, you know, just bring down the hammer on her, and they're testing Jesus. and, And so Jesus, what does he do? He says to these men who have stones in their hand, they're ready to... God, they're ready to put this woman to death. And he says, if any of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then again, he bends over and does something in the dirt. And at this, those who heard him, they began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left there standing there with the woman. Jesus straightened up, straightened up and he asked her, he said, woman, he said, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? Phenomenal picture of Jesus. This should bring you great hope. No, sir, she said. No one. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, he said, and leave your life of sin. Keep in mind in Romans chapter 7, keep in mind that the Apostle Paul knows where he's going. Keep in mind that when the church listened to the Apostle Paul Uh, or when they listened to this letter being read to them, they didn't just get to Romans chapter 7 and stop and say, hey, we'll see you again next week, you know, kind of like we need to do here. No, Paul knows where he's going. He knows what Romans chapter 8 is all about. He knows that he's going to give the follower of Christ a playbook for how they can have victory. So don't miss next week and the weeks to come. It's going to be awesome. It's a phenomenal text. But right here in Romans chapter 7, when we hit this bump, And when we talk about this inner struggle, what do you do with a text like this? How do we respond? I want to give you just three easy takeaways here this morning. Here's the first one. Jot this down. Here it is. Don't try to appear better than you really are. Number one, don't try to appear better than you really are. In other words, be the real deal. Scars and all. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul was so incredibly authentic He's not out there trying to manage his image or pretending to be better than he really was. Instead, he's realistic. He's realistic in saying, hey, in my own strength, I am weak. It's out there. When you're real with others, people, you know what else it does? It makes the gospel appealing. It lets people know, okay, I don't have to have it all figured out before I come to Jesus Christ. I got a text from a guy in our church a couple weeks ago. He sent it out to a group of us, and he said, hey, pray for me tonight. He said, I'm going home, and I'm going to be sharing my faith with my, with my dad, right, adult father. And, uh, and so I saw him in church a couple weeks later, and I said, hey, how did it, how did it go? And he was excited about it, and, and he said, you know, it, it went pretty well. He said, I, he said, but I learned a lot. He said, we got going in the conversation, and he said, and, and this is a cool story. He said, you know, I... A couple months ago, he said, I started this journal where I'm praying for people in my life that don't know Christ, and my dad was at the top of the list, and he said, so, you know, I set up this meeting with him, we're talking, I'm sharing the gospel, but it's just kind of going back and forth, it wasn't going very well, he said, I was actually getting pretty frustrated, and he said, and so I just stopped right there, and I just prayed to God, and I, he said, I said to myself, God, hey, if you're going to do something, would you do it now? I'm desperate for you to move, and he said it was as, though, as clear as day, as though, as though the Lord said to him, you need to confess some sin to your dad. You need to say, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this distance that we've had in our relationship and how I've contributed to that. And he said when he did this, it was the game changer in their conversation, and it's been the game changer in their relationship since. When we say to ourselves, you know, we don't need to come across as holier than thou. No, we need to be real about our sin And what does that do? It helps other people find strength in Christ and ourselves as well. Number two, second thing, I think just an easy takeaway from this text. Not easy, but I I think it's an application we we can jump onto. Here it is. In your weaknesses, here it is. This is so important. Run to Christ for strength. Notice again in verses 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul, he asks a great question, a driving question for this text. He says, who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And you can just feel it's almost as though there's this huge sigh of relief in the text. Who will rescue me? 
Thanks be to God. (laughs) Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. One pastor put it like this. He said, when you think about your life and your struggles, he said, for every time you look at yourself, look at Christ ten times. When you think about your own identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, who are you? You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Remember what we learned. How can we, how can we be strong in Christ? How can we find strength in Christ? Romans chapter 3, we can be strong because we've been made righteous in Christ. Romans chapter 5, we can be strong because we've been justified through faith in Christ. Romans 6, last weekend we talked, you can live a new life, a brand new identity in Christ, a game changer. Third, last thing, here it is. How do we apply this text? Confess often and extend grace often. One guy put it like this and just talking about the church he was leading. He said that we don't want to have a culture where everything is hidden and nothing gets fixed. Instead, we want, to, we want to put the light on it. We want to put the light of Christ on it so that we can see the cracks in the pot so then we can actually do something about them. Where everything is hidden and nothing gets fixed. We don't want to be that. I was in a small group setting this past week and the question was posed, men's group, is there anything in your life that could trip you up in your walk? Is there anything that could trip you up in your devotion to Christ? And the guys in this group, they've been together a while, and so we went around the circle and we talked very honestly. And there was never a point when anyone was sharing when someone else stood up and said, are you serious? I can't believe that. Like, how could you do that? I mean, how could you struggle with sin? That's such a a junior varsity sin. I mean, how could that happen in your life? Nobody said that. It wasn't that kind of environment. You know why it wasn't that kind of environment? Because the guys in this group, I know it's true of them, They cling to the reality of verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to the grace of God. I heard a story this week about a guy who was sharing about his grandfather. And he said his grandfather was an an amazing man. His his grandfather was a a worship leader. And at, at the time of his life, he was known as kind of the leader of leaders in their denomination, kind of the key key guy. And um, he said that when his grandfather died, just this godly man, he said, Let, you know, just our memories of him, he said, were sweet. He said, but oh, it left such a huge hole in our hearts because he was such a good man. He said, though, he got a call a couple months later after, he had, pa- after he had passed away from this guy that lived in the city where his grandfather's home was. And the guy said, yeah, you need to come over. We're cleaning out the house. You need to come over to the house. And so he walked down into the basement of this house and he gets shown that over in the corner of the basement, there's this, these tarps that are laid out, and it's covering this huge mound of pornographic material, hardcore pornography. And this guy said, I knew my grandfather was a follower of Christ. I, rem- I, I know he was. He said, but I remember this very distinctly. I remember when he would lead worship, when he would lead people in the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, when he would get to these lines, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God, I, the God I love. And he said as he would sing it, he would watch time and time again as tears would stream down the face of his grandfather. And he said, I finally knew. I finally knew the battle that he was losing at home. And he was hiding it. He was carrying it. 
And he said that the tragedy of the story of my grandfather is that he lived in a church culture where you kept your junk inside the house. You kept it inside the house. You didn't share. No one did. It wasn't acceptable. You kept your sin in the basement. You didn't put it out in the front yard. You didn't want anybody to see. Nobody did that. Wouldn't have been acceptable to them. You know what? That should not be. That's not right. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Therefore, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. It says that the prayer, the care, the prayer of a righteous person, it is powerful and effective. Let's be, I would say this, let's continue to be a church that we freely confess and we freely extend grace knowing that our victories are not of our own strength, but they are from him and from him alone. And let's freely and let's very often acknowledge the fact that our failures have one good place to go. The stuff that we're not proud of has one good resting place. And it's not in our own hearts. It's not in a secret place. It's at the feet of Jesus Christ. And so let's be a people we're quick to confess. Let's be a, a people that, wow, if it's on our heart and we know it's wrong and the Spirit of God convicts us, let us not be weighed down by it. Find someone you trust and, and confess acknowledging our weaknesses, what does it do? It helps us and it helps others find strength in Christ. You might be here this morning and you hear the story of the Apostle Paul and, and honestly it's good news to you in a kind of a weird way. It's sort of liberating to you. You feel like, wow, okay, I'm not alone in my struggle. And I just would encourage you this morning would you not live in isolation? Please don't just hear truth from God's word and not apply it, but walk away and say, okay, I, I'm going to act on that. I'm not going to live on isol in isolation. I'm not going to bear this burden on my own. Confess to someone you trust. Or you might be here this morning and you would say, wow, the, the, I hear a message like this and it's a reminder for you. It's a reminder for you that you don't need to be fake. You Maybe you grew up in a tradition where you came to church and everybody, you know, the kids stood in a straight line and everybody looks great and you're smiling and there's no way anybody had conflict on the way here, right, you know. But, but you had to kind of put that, you had to put that face on week after week after week and all of a sudden you find yourself, that's kind of the face you put on. You're just kind of a cleaned up person, but you know you're, you're not, and so I hope that you'll find some liberation this morning to just be real, just to be authentic, but not to be authentic just for authentic sake, to be authentic and let us run, verse 25, let us run to the feet of Christ. Let us humbly go to God and let us bear each other's burdens. Let us run to Christ and find healing and grace. This is a tough text, but I I pray that as we go through Romans 7, we kind of go, whoa, okay, we learned a lot about who we are in Romans 1 through 6. We get to 7, and it's a really important, it's a really important chapter, and I pray that it does something really powerful in us, and then we're going to get to Romans 8, and it's going to be incredible. But let's do this. Let's pray this morning, and um, just pray that God would, would move in our hearts to this text. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you brought us to this place this morning, and um, Lord, we just want to cry out to you this morning. We want to say we're not going to hide, Lord. We don't need to hide. We're, we want to pray this morning that we would be the kind of people. I think of, that, I think of that elderly lady. She did not enjoy that day at all. But she was willing to have her stuff put on the front yard because there was a better day to come. And so, Lord, I pray today 
that we would expose the things that we don't want to expose. I pray today that people who are stuck in the bondage of a sin, Lord, would be freed. That they would be able to confess and find grace in Christ. And then, Lord, for us who do we just feel like we need to always have it put together, Lord, would you remind us this morning that we don't? Would you remind us this morning that in our weakness, what do we do? We find strength in Christ. So, Lord, we love you, and now we pray that we would even just worship you well through these lyrics of this next song that are um, they're right on point. And so, God, would you, I pray, be exalted, Lord. To you and you alone we bring glory to. In Christ's name, amen.